But there's one thing I want to draw your attention to really quickly. Um, we've been talking a lot about a lot of different things in this series we call Stuck. We've been talking about how to grow and change. We've been talking about specific things that we feel like God would ask us to grow and change in. And there's been a lot of good questions that have come up in your groups as you're wrestling through things. And sometimes things that um, you don't have time to answer in your groups. Or sometimes it's things where even your leader's like, you know what, I need to think about that a little more. And so at the end of this series on December 4th, we're going to have a Q&A. And it would be best... If you guys would be willing to start submitting questions that are coming up in your group so that you're thinking about or that are rolling around in your head. And we've got a box there in the back on the table. And I would just, if there's something that comes up that you're thinking about that you, that you uh, would like an answer to or you'd like us to maybe take a, take a, a swing at on that Q&A night, uh, drop some questions in there. Because what we'll do is we'll spend some time preparing and make sure we give helpful answers to you. And I, I want to know what kinds of questions and concerns you have. I want to be helpful and answer real questions that you have. So anytime we build a series, I'm trying to anticipate questions, um, but it's cool to kind of wrap it up at the end with, okay, what kinds of questions do you have? Um, Does that make sense? You see the box back there? Yeah, yeah, good. So that's where you drop them in. Uh, We've got, like I said, three or four more weeks, so go ahead and keep dropping them in so we can start to get prepared. Well, as I said, I I like to schedule somebody to help me out on a night where I've been preaching all morning. I literally went home, and I got my blanket and my pillow and sat in my recliner and just kind of did this for like three hours. It just wipes me. And so um, Matt's a good good buddy of mine. Who who was in here while he was still serving in student ministry? Anybody? Some people were in his group. Lord help you. but uh, Matt is a good friend of mine. Uh, I met him a, a number of years ago, and he's somebody that God really uses to, to sharpen me in a lot of ways. Uh, he asks good questions. He pushes on some things. Uh, he's just a good brother in the Lord. And so um, would you all do me a favor and welcome uh, Brother Matt Ross up to the stage. Yeah. All right. What's up, guys? How you all doing? Anybody uh, catch the Bengals game today? See the tie? Or this morning? I guess you would have probably been in church then, wouldn't you? I I, I have a, like, slight confession that I might have checked my phone, like, maybe two, maybe three times, like, this morning in the little church. Um, But, yeah, it's good to be back here. Uh, It's good to to be with you guys. And, two, it's good to be, like, up on this stage, because, like, when I saw it, I was like, man, I'm going to go up there. I feel like like I'm on a spaceship or something up here. So, it's like... I'm going to go uh, extraterrestrial or something. All right, well, like Ryan said, my name's Matt, and uh, I'm excited to, to be here tonight to be able to uh, pick up where this series has been left off, because uh, you guys have been talking about what? Stuck, right? What it means to, to be stuck, what it means to uh, feel like you can't change, right? Um, the Christian life, like we, we talk a lot about what it means to change and to grow, um, but if we're honest, like there are certain periods of time uh, in our lives as we, as we seek to pursue and chase after Jesus uh, where things become like a little bit hard and difficult and like the process of uh, becoming a more sanctified version of myself is like a little bit harder than maybe uh, I, it, I draw it up like on paper, right? It's easier to talk about those things than it is to actually get down into the, the nitty gritty of real sin and real life uh, with real people and real situations, right? And that's hard. But I am excited uh, to jump into this series and to tackle a question tonight of how do I change when I feel like I can't get out of my own selfishness? How do I change when I feel like I can't get out from beneath like the disease that plagues me, right? How, how can I get outside of my own like self-exaltation and, and self-bent and self-narcissistic ways and how I see and perceive the world? And how can I begin by the, by the grace of God to actually live a life of, of selflessness, to live a life of humility in a way that, that marks and looks like Jesus, right? Is that a question maybe that you guys have wrestled with before, maybe? Yeah. And here's why this is difficult. Here's why that question is so hard. It's because we live in a world, especially here in America, right, where we see, like, the desire to exalt self all over the place, don't we? Like, 
Man, how many guys are like on social media of some form, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram? Like almost everybody, right? And like the cool thing to do is to do what? Like now that we have, we have phones, and they're not really phones, they're like, they're like mini computers, aren't they? And like what do people do with their phones? Okay, so they take selfies, they take photos, like, like this past summer, what was really hot for teenagers? Like Pokemon Go, right? And like you saw like, teen- like literally there was a time earlier this past summer where I was walking through downtown Lexington and there was like a Pokemon Go like parade. And there were just all these teenagers just walking around just like this. Like, and it's like, what is going on? This looks like zombie world out here, right? <laughs> but like we live, we live to like fill and satisfy this niche that we have in ourselves to like promote ourselves, to enjoy life the way we want it, the way it's tailored for us, right? Burger King, have it your way. I have my iPhone. I have my MySpace. I have all these things that, that tell me that the world is really about me, right? And you guys, even as you, as you mentioned, you said we take selfies, but even in, if, we're, if, so imagine this for a second. If I were to get up here and take a photo of you guys, if I was like, hey, we're going to take a photo for Grace Fellowship to kind of snapshot high school ministry, and I said, all right, Ryan, I'm going to come up here. I'm going to get out my phone, right? And I took out, I took out my own iPhone, which is funny because it's got the word I in it. And I said, all right, click. So we're going to put this out. We're going to put it on the Internet to represent, like, high school ministry here at Grace. And I sent it to Ryan, and I was like, all right, I want you to post it up here. And before we, like, make it go viral, like, we need to make sure it's a good photo. 100%, no doubt in my mind, when I shot that photo up there, you know where your, your mind would gravitate? Like, it wouldn't be like, oh, I wonder if the people on the other side of the room are looking really, really good right now. Like, you would be like, what am I doing in the photo, right? <laughs> am I making a goofy face? Like, your, 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 your eyes will gravitate toward yourself, right? And we have this bent towards, towards self. That's why so many relationships are distorted, why so many marriages today fail. It's, it's why... Uh, friendships, dating relationships can become so easily disposed of. It's because we're selfish. We want what we want and we don't care, right? And before we we go any further, I want to give some weight and definition to the term selfish or selfishness. And so if you're a note taker, I know a few of you are, you're like, man, all right, I'm ready. Definitions are my thing. So here we go. Selfishness, according to Oxford Dictionaries, right? And you're like, ooh, Oxford Dictionaries. It is lacking consideration for other people to be concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. I'll say that again. It's lacking consideration for other people to be concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. And as I was thinking about that definition and I was thinking about you all tonight and like tomorrow is what? Halloween, anybody got any epic, like, Halloween costumes this year? He's got some good ones. Just show, just pause for one second. What do we got? Hold on. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yeah, I knew you were going to say Harambe. You already told me. Harambe, whatever. That's going to be, like, one of the most popular Halloween costumes in all of Cincinnati. What else? Wait, wait. Green Arrow? So you got, the, you got a good fro going? Yeah, that's sweet. Okay, so like, as I was thinking about that definition, tomorrow's Halloween, candy, right, um, my mind gravitated to the story of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like, how many guys know the story of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah, so that's good. Everybody raise their hand. Okay, so in, in, the, in the story of Willy Wonka, if you're not familiar, there's this character, this little girl named Veruca Salt, all right? And Veruca, like, if you don't know the basis of the movie, the movie tells of this dude named Willy Wonka who owns his own chocolate factory, and he sends out chocolate all over the world, okay? Like, Willy Wonka is, like, the bomb.com when it comes to candy and chocolate. And so, uh, Willy Wonka's kind of this, like, he's kind of this, like, sketchy, shady character who, like, nobody knows about, but they're like, oh, we love his chocolate. And so, Willy Wonka chocolate does this cool thing, and it's, like, definitely a promotion to, like, oh, we want to raise funding. That's definitely what it's about. But they decide they're going to put out, like, five golden tickets into the, into the side of a, of a milk chocolate bar, right? And uh, they go, these are sent out all over the world. And if you find a golden ticket, you get invited uh, to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And uh, you get to meet the Willy Wonka. 
And so Veruca Salt is a character in this, in this movie. And so to kind of like bring some, um, I, I find it helpful to bring some like imaging to definition. And so as I was thinking about selfishness, my mind gravitated to uh, this little girl. And so watch this clip and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Check this out. All right, so Veruca is like epic, isn't she? She's like using her dad and his company to like open these chocolate bars. And like she's so demanding. She's like, I don't care. I want it now. Make those ladies out in the factory work overtime because I have to get that stinking golden ticket, right? And like we laugh at that, and that's kind of funny, right? Like this idea of Veruca Salt. But like here, here's, the, here's the truth and here's the reality. The, the tough, nitty-gritty truth that when we get down to it is is true of all of us. It's because, like, yeah, like, outwardly, like, we despise characters like Veruca Sol. And, like, I'm guessing probably most of you don't walk around living life that way. At least not, at least not on the surface, right? That everything is about me and, like, I am just, because, like, we're just annoyed by those people. Those people, like, disgust us. But here's the deal. Innate within every single one of us is a Veruca Sol. Like, in a post-Genesis 3 world, every single one of us have this, like, innate sense and bent towards, I, I have this entitled sense of, like, man, this, I deserve certain things. I'm obligated to certain things. I have rights, and I want to use those rights. That the world is somehow bent towards me and is about me. And, like, what do we do with that? Like, what do we do with that reality and in order to do that, I want us to look at one passage um, in the Bible, particular, particularly, um, and that's Paul's letter to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2. And so if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn there with me. Everybody got a Bible? If you got a Bible, hold it up. There it is. And I see tons of apps, like little phones and iPads, all the, all the fun stuff. All right, Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Everybody there? Everybody there? All right. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is what Paul writes. Listen to this. He says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pause there. All right, now, when we approach the Bible, okay, context is always king. You guys know that? So when we are reading a particular passage, when we jump into a particular text, we want to interpret it in light of, like, 
other parts in the Bible, right? We want to we get into the original author's uh, original intent as he wrote to that particular audience. And so in this case, in the context of Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in the city of Philippi. And he's writing to them about the greatness, the grandeur, the beauty, the sweetness of the gospel, right? He's writing to them about how good it is to be forgiven of sin, to be reconciled to God through the person of Jesus Christ. And he's enamored by this. Paul, Paul loves the gospel. Like, he loves the gospel. He is bent on the gospel. He eats, sleeps, drinks the gospel. And he says in chapter 1 of, of this uh, book, he says in verse 21, he says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die would be my gain. Right? To live, would, to live is of benefit for you all, and I will make much of Jesus in my life. But if I were to die, I get to go be with my Lord and my Savior, and that would be far better for me. Right? Paul loved Jesus, and he loved to make much of Jesus in his life. And so as he's writing to this church in Philippi, he's explaining to them what God is doing in and through him as a missionary, as, as a minister of the gospel, and what God is doing throughout the world, uh, and how Paul is a part of that mission. And he makes a, a turn, a pivot of sorts, in this letter in chapter 1, when he says these words in verse 27, he says this, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel." And what he's doing, in essence, is he's saying that because the gospel is true, and because it's beautiful, and because it's great, and because it's, it is the most astounding good news you could possibly ever hear, like, this is how you should live in light of it. Like, this is how we should live to make much of the gospel with our lives. And so in, in chapter 2, as we approach chapter 2, he says in verse 2, man, church in Philippi, this is how you complete my joy. This is, how you, this is how you make me happy as the Apostle Paul. Complete my joy by doing these things, okay? And that's kind of the, the context by which Paul is, is operating here in chapter 2. And, like, this text is mainly about, like, like the unity within the church. There's a lot to say about, like, putting off self, selfishness and, and putting on humility to, to bring about unity within the church. Like, that's what Paul's aim is. But here's the thing that's so beautiful about Philippians chapter 2, is it is, like, one of the most Christological, theological passages in all the Bible, and yet it's one of the most immensely practical chapters in all the Bible. And it has something to say to us and addressing the question, how do I get unstuck in my selfishness? Like, how do I get outside of my own selfishness? How do I make the gospel look big and beautiful in my life? How do I get unstuck? And this is what Paul says. This is the first thing that he addresses us in. And here's the first thing for you as you think about, all right, how do I, how do, I do this? How do I get unstuck? Here's, here's point number one is you need to cultivate relationships with others that are centered on the gospel. Let me show you what I mean here. Look at verse 1 and 2. Look at what Paul says. He says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is, right? There is much encouragement in Christ. If there is any comfort and love, and there is any participation in the Spirit, and oh, yes, and amen, there is, and affection and sympathy, he says, complete my joy by what? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and having one mind. All right, now I don't know how many, does anybody in here like to exercise? Anybody in here run cross country or play any sports? What, what do we got here? Let's go over here. You, you, you're a baseball player, right? So baseball, what else do we got? Okay, so let's, let's play on these two. All right, so baseball and basketball, this is great. Those are great illustrations because why? Because they're team sports, right? And like here's, here's the thing. When it comes to baseball and basketball, like, can it ever just be about you? No. Like, it can't. Like, you absolutely need other people who are working together around the same common goal to achieve a common purpose, right? Like, we need each other. And, like, here's the deal for you. Like, as a high school student, if you're going to live to make much of the gospel, if you're going to live to get out of your own selfishness, to become unstuck, like, what you need is you need a band of brothers and sisters in the gospel. Like, you need to link arms with people in the gospel who are honest and who are on this pursuit and saying, like, I want to follow Jesus, and I want my life 
to be marked by a sense of humility and selflessness. And when you're aiming towards that common goal and you're working together, you'll do so much more than you could on your own, couldn't you? Like, isn't that true? I can always do more with a team than I could by myself. Like, even though, who's the greatest player in the NBA right now? Is it LeBron, baby, right? It's LeBron. But even as good as LeBron is, like, do you think LeBron could go out by himself and beat another NBA team? There is no way. Somebody was like, yeah, I think he could. There is no way LeBron James could be another team on his own. And, like, the same is true, like, for you. Like, we need each other. We need to link arms in the gospel. And that's exactly, like, what is happening in Philippi. Like, Paul's exhorting this people, come together in the gospel. You of different backgrounds and ethnicities and languages and cultures, like, come together and unite, rally together around the gospel. And you guys have that, don't you? Like, as a high school student right now, where do you experience that kind of community? Where do you experience it? Right, right here, right? You guys go to Cogros, you have discipleship groups, like you're a part of the, the, the morning gathering on a Sunday morning here at Grace. Like, man, you can experience that kind of community. And here's the deal. When you go into your Cogro, like, it's really easy to be like, oh, man, I cut up with these people. Some of these people are, like, my good friends. Like, we have a good time. And that's good and well. But, like, when it comes time to, like, actually do business with God, man, that you would take some, some steps of, like, vulnerability and let people into your life. Because, like, here's the truth. As, like, informed as you could be, like, as much, like, if you were to give yourself to studying the Bible every day, all day, and you didn't have anybody in your life, like, like, that, that's, a real, that's a real issue. That's a real gospel issue. Um, you're not going to be very gospel, like, if you don't have those kind of people in your life. And so do you have that? Like, are you able to be honest with people? I'm going to read a quote for you. Um, this is by a pastor named Brad House, and he wrote a book called Community. And this is what he said. He said, God is a relational being who created us as relational beings so that we could image him. As a community, this means that we are to reflect the goodness of God and preach the gospel through our lives together. This means loving one another, forgiving one another as Christ forgave us, calling one another to confession and repentance for the purpose of reconciliation and challenging one another to live lives that glorify God. So, like, are you challenged when you... Here's my question for you. Are you challenged when you come out of your Kogro to be like, man... These people challenge me. These people give me something to walk away with where I'm like, yeah, I'm encouraged. Like, I'm challenged. Like, Ryan Fultz just gave me, like, a hard, like, maybe he's stern talking to. Or maybe, like, David Michael. Like, man, he really encouraged me in this way. He came around me in this way. He spoke a lot of grace, but he spoke a lot of truth to me. But can you walk away saying, these people challenged me to live a life that made much of God because of what Jesus has done for me? So that's, so that's the first one. You have to cultivate relationships with others that are centered on the gospel. But here's the second thing Paul notes, and this is a really big one here in this text. Look at verse 3 and 4. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So, like, think, think is, is that application? Is that applicable? Do nothing. Like, what is, no, there is, every category falls into that. Do nothing from a selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's point number two, is you have to consistently develop humility in your life. Like, if you want to walk in the pathway of Jesus, you, and here's the hard thing, like, this isn't a one-and-done kind of thing. Like, I, oh, I cultivated humility one day, and now I can step away from it. Like, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, this means that day in and day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, decade in and decade out, like, I have to be cultivating humility in my life if I'm going to be unstuck of my own selfishness, and I'm going to, like, be obedient to Jesus and following after him. I have to be cultivating humility. And that word, humble, 
humble in its original meaning. I, I looked through a couple of lexicons, like I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm a nerd like that, I like the original languages, and so like I'm looking through a couple of, of, of like lexicons and like the deeper, like fuller meaning of that, like it is humble, but, but catch this, I really liked how a couple of them put this. It's to be bringing one low, and this is, I really like this one, to have a deep sense of one's littleness. To have a deep sense of one's littleness. Like how counter-cultural is that idea? To be humble? Like are you kidding me? We live in America, right? And we promote this idea of like living the individualistic, westernized, like American dream. Like I get what I want. Life turns out well for me. I don't have to suffer. I don't have to experience hardship. Like it's me, a wife, a dog, a couple of kids. And like we live this, this good life. How do I cultivate a sense of my own littleness when a world that tells me you need to continue to exalt yourself and show how big you actually are? How do I do that? I really like the way this guy, he's a pastor in the 19th century, old dude, he's dead, been long dead for a long time, Charles Spurgeon. He wrote on humility, and listen to this, listen to how he applied it to himself. He said, for my own heart, for my own part, rather, my constant prayer is that I may know the worst of my case, whatever the knowledge may cost me. I know that an accurate estimate of my own heart can never be otherwise than lowering to my own self-esteem. But God forbid that I should be spared the humiliation which springs from the truth. That's what Spurgeon's saying. It's like, man, I don't care what it costs me. I have to know the reality of who I am before a holy God. How empty and how utterly bankrupt and desperate I am before God. I bring nothing to his table but my own sinfulness. Right? And so as I was thinking about this, like, what are the points of application for you? Like, what are the things that a high school student could walk away with to be like, okay, Matt said to be humble, the text said to be humble, but like, how do I actually do that? Right? How do I get into the nitty-gritty of actual real life? Well, here's the thing you can do. Here's some things you can do. Here's the first thing. You can pray that God would show you your selfishness. Pray to God to show you your selfishness. Because here's the deal, you're never like exercising humility than when you're like forced to pray. And you get really, really low when you pray, like I'm on my knees. Because when you pray, in essence what you're saying is, God, I am inadequate, I have nothing, I, I, am, I am desperate. And if you are not working in and through me, I have nothing. And so you're saying, in essence, like all of prayer is one in essence saying, like I need God. I need God. And prideful people, you know what they say? Selfish people, they say, I don't, I don't really need God. But when you pray, you are exercising humility, inadequacy, a need for God. So pray, God, show me my selfishness. And here's another thing you can do, and this is really, really, really hard. Right? I, I was talking with my wife about this before I came in here, and it was like, man, I've only been married for like three and a half months, and it was like, okay, let the guy who's been married for like three months come and talk about selfishness. Sorry. It's like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm selfless. No, I'm extremely selfish. But I was like, oh, man, this is really, really hard. And one of the things that you could do in cultivating humility in your life is you could go to the people who know you the best, whether it's friends or family or maybe people in your own co-gro, and ask them this question, where do you see selfishness in me? How could I be more selfless and humble? And here's the deal. If you're so bold to ask that question, don't offer a rebuttal when they give you an answer. And you just let it sit and fall on you. And you take that, right? And you just take it. Because everything inside of you is going to be like, no, 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 no. I am not selfish. You don't talk to me like that, right? Nope, just stop, close your mouth, take it and receive it and say, okay, God, how, how by your grace in me can I like, learn to be selfless? Application point number three here. How can I cultivate humility in me? Serve. Serve. There are a lot of things that you can do, and there's a lot of needs inside of a church, aren't there? 
And there are a lot of roles inside of a church that, like, don't get a lot of, like, like a lot of public airtime, you know? There's not a lot of, like, praise, you know? Like, the dude who's wheeling in the coffee into the forum, people aren't like, like, brother, man, that guy. Like, we love that guy. He brings me my, my, my coffee in the morning, right? Or, like, people who work in, like, the parking lot. Or, like, or maybe some of you work in, like, children's ministry or nursery. Like, what more humbling thing to do than you to work in, in like, the nursery and, like, clean another human being's, like, poop? Right? You're like, oh, I changed a diaper in, in nursery. Like, ugh. Like, nobody's like, yeah, I want to do that. Like, you're, oh, no. I'm, I'm, learning, I'm learning to cultivate, like, through my service, a sense of humility that's uniting me more and more to Jesus. Two more here in, in terms of humility. Um, put yourself in positions where you are incompetent, Okay? Uh, here's the natural tendency for a high schooler, right? Okay, you, so, like, you're in high school now. Like, I remember when I came to high school, and, like, I thought, I was, like, when I was in middle school, I literally thought I was the next Kobe Bryant. Like, sports were kind of my thing, and I was like, dude, I am, like, the bala bala, okay? And, like, when I, because I, I went to a high school, like, 1,200 students, and, like, I tried out for the basketball team, and, like, I made the team, but, like, like when it came down to it, like, like, 10 games in, it was like, dude, I played against, I'm sorry, Drew, but it was like, I played against, like, Calvary Christian, which, like, in that world was like, dude, like, you play in the schmucks, man. I was like, man, I am riding the pine, baby, like, (laughs) and it was like, I can't tell you as a high school student what that was doing inside of me, because there were times where I'd watch it, and it was just like, no, I am better than this, and if I'm not getting what I'm supposed to get, like, Ah, uh, coach, ah, uh, everybody else. Like, this is about me and getting my points. And, like, I, you do the same thing in, like, relationships and, like, man, with friends and, like, like, some of you are, like, dating right now and, like, dating, like, worldly dating is, like, some of the most selfish, narcissistic stuff because, like, it's not about how can I give to another human being, but it's, like, how can I take from this person everything about them, like, how can they store up for me, like, what I'm lacking to make myself better? <laughs> like, this is, this is terrible. And so how do you put yourself in a position of incompetency? Is instead of quitting that team, like, maybe what's best for your own soul is just stay on the team and be the best bench warmer that you can be. Like, man, I'm going to, like, be the best cheerleader here. I'm going to be the best water boy that I can. Like, my team needs water, baby. Like, every coach is, like, you know, every part matters. And we, like, say that stuff to, like, make people feel better. But it's like, dude, if you're the water boy, like, I'm getting water. But, hey, you know what you can do? I'm going to give water to the glory of God. And, like, like this is so good for me to experience this. And, like, man, I'm going to just, I'm going to be the best cheerleader that I can be. Or maybe, like, you're a part of, like, I was thinking through this. Okay, like, is anybody in here a part of a choir or anything like that? Or, okay, yeah. So it's like, man, I, I tried out for the solo, and I didn't get it. Like, I'm not the superstar. Didn't get what I want. Like, sometimes it's good for you to, like, play the background. I'm in the background. I'm not the superstar. And for the goodness of my own soul, instead of quitting, which is the tendency that we all want to do, and say, no, bump that. I'm better than this. Well, maybe you're not, you know? And, like, some of you need to hear that. Like, you're not that awesome. Like, some of you are just, like, it's, you're average, and that's okay. Like, it's okay to be average, you know? It's like, I'm not, I'm not, like, the next Michael Jackson, like, with dance moves and, you know, cool things, or I'm not the next Michael Jordan. I'm not the next anybody. Like, I'm just this dude from Kentucky, and I'm just kind of, like, normal and average, and that's okay, you know, I don't need a participation trophy that tells me that, like, I'm God's gift to earth. Here's, a, here's the next one. Learn to laugh at yourself instead of getting defensive when others comment on the quirkiness of your own character. You know what humble people do? They can laugh at themselves. Like, here, here's, for example, like, right before I walked in here, okay, I come in here tonight, I park my car, uh, like, five minutes before I walk up here, Christina Wheatley comes up to me and goes, hey, um... Like, do you have the Jetta outside? Yeah, I, I left my car lights on when I came here tonight. And so, like, if she hadn't walked... Oh, it wasn't my car? Okay, well, never mind. I can boast of myself now. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. But it's like, like, when stupid stuff happens to you, or you fail, and, like, you know your tendency? Like, maybe you're somebody shy, and, like, your face just goes all red, and you're just like, ugh. Like, I just messed up in front of people. 
And because I, like, craved the approval of people and I, like, lived for popularity, like, man, I was just crushed. Like, humble people who are full and filled and satisfied in Jesus, like, they can laugh at themselves. Like, they don't take themselves super, super seriously. And it's okay to laugh at yourself. So go low. Cultivate a sense of lowliness, right? You guys know the, the song, the limbo, like, Jack, be nimble, Jack, be quick. What? Who's got it? See, you're, see, you're like, I can't laugh in front of all these people. Like, Jack, be nimble, Jack, be quick. Jack, go under limbo stick. Yeah, yeah, you guys know this, right? And so, like, the key to the game is, like, you got to be nimble and you got to get low, right? And so, like, your whole life, you need to be cultivating the sense of, like, I'm getting low. I'm learning to come to grips with my own littleness before a holy and righteous God. I'm coming to grips with it. And here's what you need to realize, and this is where Paul points us next, is that as low as you think you are, and this is helpful for you in that moment where, like, things are stirring and raging within you that's telling you, like, I am so much better than this. I deserve better. Like, all these people don't even realize, like, what I actually bring to the table. When that's raging within you, realize that as low as you think you've gone, Jesus has gone far lower than you. And that's what Paul points us to here, because the first two things that I've given you Cultivate humility in your life. Cultivate transparency and honesty in terms of community. Build gospel relationships. Like, those are good things, but, like, those are, I'm giving you, like, commands, aren't I? I'm giving you things to do. And here's the thing. Like, if I'm just telling you and leaving you here tonight with things to do, like, ultimately, that's not, that's inadequate, and that's kind of, like, not Christian. Um... But God doesn't say, like, go and drive 10,000 miles and doesn't give you any fuel for the drive. You know what I'm saying? He's not like, hey, go drive to California, but you have no gas. World religions are all about telling you what to do without giving you any power to actually do those things. But what makes Christianity so different is it isn't so much about what you do as much as it's about what's been done for you. The heart of Christianity is not go do. The very heart of, of Christianity is what has been done. What has been done for you. And this is the enabling power for it all. So look with me at verse 5 through 8. Verses 5 through 8, Paul says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and even death on a cross. So third point of application here for you guys, you must give yourself to regular contemplation of how God in Jesus has served you. You need to ask the question, how has Jesus served me? Because look at this here. Verse 5, Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Like one of the things that the Apostle Paul loves to say in terms of Christians is identifying them as those who are in Christ. You are hidden in Christ. Your life is found in Christ. And like what that means is that like, like before Jesus, when God the Father looked upon you and all of your sinfulness, like in all of the brokenness and, and like just jacked upness that you bring to the table, he looked upon you and like, you were doomed for an eternity apart from him in hell. And if you have repented of your sin and looked to Jesus and said, by faith, I trust him, like, what happens is that the life that he lived is now accredited to you, and the death he died is now accredited to you, and the resurrection that he's been brought up out of is now true of you. And now when God looks upon you, God the Father looks upon you, he looks and sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And when he looks at you, he says, what? well done, right, my good, faithful servant. In you, I am, I am well pleased because he sees the righteousness, the beauty, the perfection that is Jesus in you. And so this is union, union with Christ. This is what Paul's talking about here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now, this can be really confusing because this is like one of the highest theological apexes in like all of the New Testament. Paul's getting really, really high theologically, but it's good because it's ultimately very, very practical for you. It means much, much, much for you. And so like here's what you have to consider. 
This is what Paul says. That Jesus was in the form of God and did not count equality with him a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now, theologians call this what's called a hypostatic union. And what that means is that in the person of Jesus, there were two natures, that God, that Jesus was fully God, right, 100%, nothing less, and yet he was fully man, 100%, and nothing less. All of the attributes and characteristics that were true of him were, were met in that same person. It's crazy. It's mind-blowing. It's perplexing, isn't it? Like, how could this dude be God and man? It's, it's insane, and yet, it's the very way that Paul says we must consider him in order to cultivate any kind of real selflessness. And so in this way, he says that Jesus, who was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And he emptied himself. And what that means is he didn't let go of any of his divinity, but it was subtraction through addition. That Jesus, who is God, now listen to this, Jesus, who Paul says in Colossians 1, Jesus, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. At the end of this text in verse, verse 10 Paul says that, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that word in the Greek is kurios, and he's making a reference to the Old Testament, where like, man, the name for for God in the Old Testament, the name that like Jews would not say was the name Yahweh. Like he was so revered and highly exalted that they would not like say his name, right? There was like a scariness to like who Yahweh was, and they just, he's called Lord, like in our Old Old Testament. And so what Paul is doing right there is he's saying that Jesus, like Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And like you need to think about that. And Jesus, who all things were created through him and by him and for him, became a man humbled himself by becoming a human being. And like, you have to consider this. Like, this is really, it's high stuff, but it's like important stuff. It is essential stuff. So listen to this. Humanity, Jesus. Jesus was born, Luke 2.7. Jesus grew, Luke 2.40. Jesus grew tired, John 4.6. Jesus got thirsty, John 19.28. Jesus got hungry, Matthew 4.2. Jesus was physically weak, Matthew 4.11. Jesus was sorrowful, Matthew 26.38. Jesus wept, John 11.35. Jesus died, Luke 23.46. And Jesus had a real human body after he was resurrected, Luke 24.39. Right? Jesus was a was, was just as much human as he was God. And that has to be considered if we're going to cultivate any kind of selflessness, if we're going to get outside of ourselves. Consider Jesus. Look to Jesus as your example, but also as the one who is your substitute, who died in your very place. Jesus, right? And so think about this. Jesus was divine and yet human. He was infinite and finite, invisible and yet visible, eternal and yet temporal, omnipotent and yet suffering, omniscient and yet limited in his very knowledge. And this is perplexing. Wayne Grudem, he says in his systematic theology, he says the fact that the infinite God became one person with a finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all of the universe. And you're to think about that. Dwell upon that. Give yourself to thinking about Jesus. Who is Jesus and what has he done? Who is Jesus and what has he done? And that plays a direct correlation to how you live out the Christian faith. To the degree that you know how God is holy and how sinful you are will be the degree that, to which you walk out this kind of humility and selflessness. But it starts with what he's done, who he is and what he's done. And so consider for a moment Jesus Jesus, who was arrested by Roman soldiers, they grabbed Jesus with the hands that he not only created, but was at the same time sustaining. Jesus, who in his essence, the power they used to grab him, it came from him. Like the saliva that they worked up in their mouth to spit on him, he was giving the very power in that moment so that they could do it to him. 
And Jesus, and here's the crazy thing, here's the ridiculous thing about it, is that even though they nailed him to metal that he created and, and stapled him to a tree that he spoke into existence, Jesus was able to stop it at any moment that he wanted to. He could call down angels from heaven and say, stop this right now. Don't you know who I am? If anybody had a right, it was Jesus. He was God. He could say, no, I am far above this. I am so beyond this. And yet, the text says, right? That's what Paul says. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, which could be better rendered a slave. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. The Father who said, it is my very will to crush you, my son. And so how, how, what does this mean for you, practically speaking? How do you give yourself to contemplation of what Jesus has done? How do you give yourself to regular contemplation of how God in Christ has served you? Two things for me. Maybe you can think of some different ones, but I have two ideas here. First one, right here. You have to, if you have any shot at becoming somebody who is humble and somebody who is pursuing selflessness, you must give yourself to reading the Bible every day, like all the time. I can't get away from this. Because a lot of you, like, for some of you, the reason why Christianity isn't compelling to you is because you view the Bible as a bunch of, like, ridiculous commands that you just don't understand. And, like, yeah, that's not very compelling, but here's the deal. The story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation tells an unfolding story of how God is redeeming a people back to himself, reconciling a people back to himself, to his own glory, through Jesus. Like, that's the story from Genesis to Revelation. Like, it's, it's here in the Bible. And, like you, and I know that it's hard, right? There's some, like, ridiculous stuff in here that I, like, I struggle with, I wrestle with. Like, I have a hard time. Like, is anybody in here like, oh, man, I love Obadiah. I totally see, like, that redemptive historical thing that you're talking about. I totally see how this plays into redemptive history. Oh, but here's the deal. That's why we have the church. We have each other, don't we? So you go, to, you go to your co-go leaders, you go to David Michael, you go to Christina, you go to Cole, you go to Ryan and say, all right, tell me how this fits into the narrative of what God is doing to bring me into relationship with him through Jesus. Give me that. Number two, number two, um, verses six through 11, verses six through 11, this is important. In in the original language, um, Paul didn't write, and he didn't use the same words that he uses um, in this section of Scripture and other places in Scripture. And so, like, the interpretation from the early church was that Paul was actually quoting a hymn. That this was a hymn that the early church would sing. They would sing this song. They would sing of a Jesus who... Although it was in form of a God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. They would sing this. And so, like, man, point of application here, like, sing some theologically rich and robust songs that tell of, like, who Jesus is as divinity and as humanity and what he's done on the cross. Sing those songs, right? We sing them in here, we just sang. We just sang of Christ the man who died upon a tree, who took upon all of humanity. Like, let your soul sing that song. You want to know how to get, like, information, like, from your head, like, into your heart, to where it changes you and your affections, and you begin to, like, look, and you kind of, like, man, he's got some Jesus to him. Like, sing, sing songs about Jesus. Not like, not like little shallow songs, but like, like good, real, rich songs about Jesus and the gospel and what he's done, who he is and what he's done. And so consider, in, in closing here, we talk a lot about Jesus and his death, don't we? We like to say, okay, Jesus lived and he died a death. But, but Paul doesn't just close with a death. He says that Jesus died even a death of a cross. You want to talk about humility, the God-man, God, very God who breathed the world into existence, who is present in eternity past and will be present in eternity future, God of God, kings of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus became a man, not only became a man, not only died, but died the death of a cross. And if you can't come back to the cross, to the place of the cross, 
and be humbled, like, that's where you find humility, is at the place of the cross. Because Jesus, like, when he was given over to Roman rule, like, like religious crowds cheered for a man named Barabbas to be released before they let him go. We want a murderer to be released before we let Jesus off the hook. We want Jesus to die. And Jesus was beaten and he was scourged and he had a crown of of thorns shoved into his head. He was led out to Golgotha and he was nailed onto a tree and murdered and died a brutal death, a criminal's death, hanging with criminals. And he died and suffered long. And yet in his humility, he didn't ever stop and he died. And his fr- even his friends left him. His boy Peter, who was like his, his guy, who said, I will never leave you. I'll go to the death of the deaths with you, Jesus, left him. Because a little girl came up to him and said, aren't you associated with that man, Jesus? No, I don't know the man. I don't know him. He died naked and alone, hanging on a cursed tree. Where's humility found? Where's selflessness found? How do you get unstuck out of your selfishness? You go to the cross. You go up to the cross. To sing the cross, study the cross, center your life on the cross, cultivate relationships that are centered on the cross, pursue humility. And as we close, I want you to consider these things. Consider number one, where in your life do you see subtle or hidden areas of selfishness? Is it in your interests, your time, how you spend your money? Are you being thoughtlessly inconsiderate of other people? How are you developing humility in your life consistently? And if not, how can you start? Right, I, gave you, I gave you a few things as food for thought. Maybe you or your leaders can like, think of more. Thirdly, who are people in your life that you can show more interest in? You all have people in your life, maybe you're seeing faces and people that you kind of like shrug off, and you're like, man, they don't do anything for me. Like, I'm all about like me and being popular. Who are people in your life that like have nothing to give you in exchange, but you're like, man, I can give that person my time and my attention, and even if they give me nothing back in exchange, like I can love them by caring about their interests, what they think, what what they're about, right? Be intentional about how you engage other people And then lastly, are you spending consistent time considering how Jesus has served you? And I said, like, number one, you have to read the Bible. And two, like, sing. Sing songs about Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And maybe you can think of more. So think about that, and uh, let me pray uh, for us as we we close. Father God, thank you so much uh, for our time together to to look at Jesus, to behold Jesus, to consider who he is as a man and as God, uh, to consider his humility, how he uh, lived, how he died, how he resurrected, and the reality of the cross. And God, I pray, I pray for students here, like some students here, God, they need to be shown like the emptiness of pursuing the life of self and how empty and utterly like bankrupt it is. And for others, God, like we just need your help we need you. We're inadequate for the task. So God, make us humble. Make us, make us like Jesus. Um, God, pour out your grace. Pour out your mercy upon us um, that we might walk in a closer union and fellowship and relationship with Jesus. It's in him that we pray. Amen.